We're grateful that you're here with us this morning, and we want to welcome those that are joining us on the Edgewood campus as well. Uh, Today, we're going to be wrapping up a series called One, in which we've taken the last handful of weeks to look at biblical uh, oneness as a result in marriage and intimacy in our, our marriage as well. And today, we're actually going to be wrapping up with this topic of intimacy. And so we encourage you to, to lean in a bit. Uh, and if you're a single uh, in here, then here's what we encourage you to do is be thinking through your intimacy uh, in a lens towards our Heavenly Father, the one who loves us and cares for us. Because if you look at it in that lens, then this message will apply to you just as much as it will someone who is married. And so if you don't mind, let me pray for us together as we just ask God to speak to our hearts this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you have called us as people uh, in marriage to leave our father and mother and to cling together, unite together as one flesh. And Lord, you uh, tell us through the words of Jesus that what you have joined together, let not man separate. God, that marriage is a biblical union Uh, an institution created by an awesome God who loves us and desires that we never live alone. But Lord, I pray that in our marriages that we don't hide or in some ways live alone, that we wouldn't be roommates, that we wouldn't just be paired up to pay the bills, but Lord, that we would be intimate with one another, that we would be compassionate towards one another, that we would know one another well. And Father, I pray that as a result of those things, that the gospel would spread forth as fruit in our marriages. So Lord, I pray for your help today that you would encourage us and align our hearts towards you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So uh, as we think about the idea of intimacy, just want to give you a brief working definition. Intimacy is simply a close uh, familiarity with someone. Uh, It is close proximity, but it also uh, results in oftentimes friendship or even closeness. When we think about uh, intimacy between a husband and a wife, you you should be thinking about things like togetherness. You should be thinking about uh, affinity or rapport with one another. Over time, you would think about attaching yourself to someone, uh, that there would be friendship, affection, that you would have warmth, that you would have confidence in one another. The idea is that you would become vulnerable, that you would expose yourself to one another, uh, and that you would trust one another. Uh, In some ways, you could think about uh, the idea of intimacy as teamwork, that it's not just a physical union uh, to one another, but it goes much deeper than that, that it's a teamwork of working together, that you have the same purpose as someone else. Matter of fact, when we think about intimacy, I think there's really four different quadrants. If you wanted to draw a box and then just divide your box into four quadrants, I think there's four quadrants that every couple ought to be examining in the area of intimacy. One of them is your emotional intimacy. Uh, How are you connecting to one another emotionally? That's conversations, that's uh, deep talks, that's long walks, that's uh, enjoying one another's company. Uh, Another component of our Uh, Intimacy would be our spiritual intimacy. How are we doing at uh, helping one another in our walk with Christ? There's a a little bit of an accountability area in that, that you would seek to honor the Lord together in some ways. Uh, There's also a physical component. The physical component would be um, our relationship to our spouse physically. Uh, It's not just in the bedroom, uh, but it's also as it results to um, cuddling on the couch. And it's becoming more intimate in that area with one another. That we would, in a sense, be desiring a physical union as much as we would an emotional and a spiritual one. 
And then I think there's a fourth component. Oftentimes it's kind of left out uh, in the abyss and no one really uh, says much about it, but it's an intellectual intimacy component. And when I think about intellectual, I think about things that in a sense would spur us on. uh, And in some ways it's a hobby. In some ways it's a book. In some ways it's something outside of the normal realm of what your life is. And so uh, for Kelly and I, it, it can result in several things over the years. I think one of them, we have an affinity for restoring furniture, and uh, we have an affinity for junk altogether. So we, but we like to do that. And some of you would be like, that seems so horrific to me. And then we would say, hey, go find something that we think would be horrific to us. And so go do that. Uh, for, uh, for us, we also, we love just, in a sense, uh, gardening. We like being out in flower beds. We like being outside. Uh, we enjoy that, that type of thing. And so there's those things. We also will read books together. And so there's just an intellectual component as well that in some ways spurs you on to something different. Now, here's the reason that intellectual is so important to me is because I often find myself pouring myself out in many other ways, emotionally and spiritually, that sometimes I just need something that my mind can, can fix on besides just what I do in terms of, and so I see God in all the other stuff, and so I enjoy those things. And so you got to be thinking through that. The question is, is, okay, if these are four different areas of intimacy, why do, I struggle to, why do I struggle to kind of work through those? Like, why is it that my husband and, and I don't ever read a book together? Hey, why is it we don't have a hobby together? Hey, why is it we don't spur each other on towards biblical things? Why is it that, in many ways, our physical intimacy is lacking right now? Hey, why is it that I don't feel like I'm emotionally connected to him or anyone for that matter? And here's what I would say. I think over time, there are some things that, in a sense, uh, can begin to rid our intimacy. And so here's a handful of areas that I think can be a challenge for all of us in marriage as it relates to intimacy and those four areas we discussed. One, I would say, is simply sin. Uh, Sin is kind of a root of all of our challenges. A matter of fact, every challenge we discuss is, in many ways, can relate to a sin issue. Uh, Maybe not in all cases, but in many cases. And so sin could potentially be the thing that's in a sense, keeping a barrier between you and your spouse. I say another one is a fear of rejection. One of the reasons we don't want to get too close to one another, even if we want a close familiarity or we want closeness in our marriage, one of the reasons we don't want to do that is because we're afraid that if we get too close, we get too known, we get too vulnerable, then they're going to push us away, that they wouldn't really love us if they knew us as well as God knows us and we know ourselves. I would say another reason that we oftentimes struggle to move in is not because of fear, but simply of selfishness. We have other things we would rather do. And so many of us uh, in in this room and in in the Edgewood campus uh, are selfish when it relates to our time. And so we don't want to give too much time to our spouses. We want to kind of protect us and we want things for us. And so we see that in James chapter 4, 1 and 2 is a great example of that. Matter of fact, because of sin, Because of a lack of intimacy and a fear of rejection, it oftentimes brings about that selfishness which wages war in us. And so James just says, hey, what is it that starts wars, quarrels, fights? He goes, isn't it the selfishness that wages within you? He goes, matter of fact, the reason that people murder is because they covet and they can't have. And so selfishness is a really big deal. I don't think you chalk this one up to go, oh, yeah, I mean, I'm a little selfish with my time. No, selfishness is a root of those sin issues, oftentimes because of fear of rejection, etc. Selfishness oftentimes leads to this fourth one, busyness. Uh, Busyness is a really big deal. 
what I would say is oftentimes the urgent in our life crowds, up, crowds out the most important. As a matter of fact, you know, uh, many of you in this room, that you ought to pursue your spouse a little bit more diligently than you do. And you say, I, we need a date night. Like there's many of you that would say that. And here's what I would just tell you. If you don't plan a date night today, put it on your calendar for two weeks from now, your date night will never happen. And here's what's going to happen. Your wife's going to look at you and say, hey, I thought we were going to get on a date. I know. I just had stuff come up. The urgent always crowds out the most important things. And we always feel urgency, don't we? Uh, I don't know about you, but my calendar feels urgent. It's oftentimes the most urgent need is the one that oftentimes wins. Unless I plan accordingly ahead and make sure that I make room for the most important things. Uh, I would say another thing that really crowds out our intimacy in our lives is just simply idle time. And so for some of us, we're not busy. We're just too idle. We've got too much time on our hands, which leads to other devices, social media, technology, etc., I don't know about you guys. I think I shared this a handful of years ago with you. Uh, but the average gamer right now playing online with your 10-year-old is a 35-year-old male. The average gamer in the States right now, the one who is online most of the time is a 35-year-old male. That's a challenge, isn't it, as it relates to intimacy. It's also a challenge as we think about parenting and allowing your kids to be online. They're usually not talking to their friends. They're usually talking to a guy Upstate New York that doesn't have a job and he's playing, or he does, and he stays up long hours of the night anyway. And I'm, I'm not picking on anybody. I'm just telling you that's the reality. And so we got to watch idle time. Why? Because idle time leads to boredom. And when I'm bored, guess what I do? I search for things that I shouldn't be searching for. And that what we do? We find ourselves stumbling on the things that can be a challenge. And I would say if you're bored, then oftentimes it can lead to things that are devastating as it relates to intimacy. I would say another challenge in our intimacy oftentimes is the greatest blessing. I think of Proverbs 127, that children are a heritage from the Lord. But listen, children can also be a distraction from intimacy in your marriage. Not because children are a bad thing. Matter of fact, there's many things, uh, as we've been talking about, that aren't bad things. But the challenge is, is when we allow certain things, the urgent, to crowd out the most important. And I'll tell you that your union as a couple before the Lord is very important. Why? Because a unified, intimate couple guides children well. And when we don't know one another well and we're doing our own thing, then oftentimes it's a challenge to parent our kids towards oneness and biblical ideals. And so it is very important that we think through the idea of children, that we put them to bed at a decent time. One of my, probably my premarital advice, maybe the greatest one that I've practiced, is that my kids never start in my bed ever. They go to bed early, and the reason why is because that two hours of my day in which I get to spend with Kelly, beginning around 8.15 to 8.30 till about 10.30, are the most important two hours of our marriage each day. And you might ask yourself, well, how often do you do this? And I would say as often as possible. We, we obviously have certain late nights, but as much as possible, we want to put kids to bed so that we can have time together. And then I would say this last one is just the idea of complacency. Complacency is oftentimes becoming a challenge in our marriages as well. Um, and we, for many of us in this room, have just become complacent in, in many of our relationships, but primarily in this one, 
that God cares so much about? And I think that's the question you have to ask yourself is, if God in Genesis 2 created a helpmate for mankind, and we know that the instructions of the helpmate are to live as one flesh, and we know that God really does care about that, then what does it look like for us to be as intimate as we should? How, what does it look like for us to be a team? How, what does it look like for us to grow towards one another? And I would say it's very similar to uh, a professor uh, in probably the mid-80s uh, at the University of Northern Iowa, and his kids came into his class, and uh, he goes, hey, I'm going to give you an assignment. And he handed out a lemon to every single kid. And uh, he goes, here's what you're going to do. You're going to take this lemon with you. And he goes, and you're going to take it everywhere. And he goes, and if I find you across the campus, he goes, I better find a lemon with you. And when you look at that lemon, he goes, I want you to smell that lemon. I want you to look at that lemon. I want you to see the texture of that lemon. He goes, I want you to know that lemon really well. And I don't know about you, but if I was in his class, I'd be like, dude, this guy has lost his mind, right? Uh, and here's the deal. That he does that. A handful of days later, at the end of the week, he takes everybody's lemon and he throws it back in uh, a bag. And he goes, now, good luck finding your lemon. Now, the question is, is that's, I think, oftentimes what happens is we get into our marriage and we oftentimes look up and it's 10, 15, 20 years down the road and sometimes even less. And we go, where's the guy? Where's the gal that I married? And in our complacency, I think oftentimes we are becoming roommates. And so the question is, is how do we avoid that? How do we move past being those things? How do we connect with one another in oneness, in intimacy, physically, spiritually, intellectually, and emotionally? How do we do that? And here's four keys. Four keys that will sound very familiar to you if you have been uh, at Stone Point for any length of time or if you have ever been in a journey group. And so here are the four keys to making your marriage a success. If you do these things, we promise the Word of God tells us that your marriage will thrive if you'll do these things. Why? Because they're all based on the Scriptures, and they are really, really foundational. They're true, and they work, okay? And so here we go. You ready? Number one is for you personally. Draw a circle around you and fix what's inside. You need to abide with Christ. You need to abide with Christ. And so when we think about abiding daily with Christ, the question is, is what does that mean? I think Jesus says it very clearly in John chapter 15. Uh, he just says, I'm the vine, you're the branch, the man remains in me, and I in him. He'll bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. That's John 15, 5. Uh, John 15 is a great section of Scripture there that you can read about abiding. Colossians 2, 6, and 7 simply says this. Uh, so then, just as you receive Christ as Lord, continue to live in him. Be rooted and built up. Strengthen your faith. As you've been taught, overflowing with thankfulness. The idea, again, is uh, knowing and abiding with God, being intimate with him. And when we think about intimacy with him, we also see the entire chapter of 1 John chapter 2 as a great example of what it looks like to abide in Christ and his love. And it then shows you the parallels that if you abide in Christ, these are the things that come out of a man. These are the things that happen when people abide. And so the question that you must ask yourself is, am I abiding? And, and what does it look like to abide? And here's what I would say. Uh, as a great uh, scholar told me yesterday morning as we were gathering with men, he said, I have learned over the last four weeks of our foundations class, which was us studying the Word of God, he said this, there's a difference between reading my Bible and studying my Bible. There's a difference between me just reading for the sake of reading so I could check it off the list and feel better about myself, and there's a there's another thing of studying the Bible more deeply. And that's what it looks like to abide. Why do we abide? Because the more that we abide with Christ, the more that Christ and his character begins to fill our lives. It's Galatians 5, 
22 and 23, for the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. For instance, you're never going to look at your wife and say, you know what? You're driving me nuts. You just love me too much. Hey, you're just too patient. Back off. Hey, you're just too joyful. You're not going to do those things. And the more that we abide with Christ, the more that we look like him. And so I would encourage you this, that just as Jesus wants a relationship with you, he wants a deep, profound one, so does your spouse. Just as Jesus desires purity from you, he desires that you would be, Revelation 19, fine, linen, white, and clean. He desires that you would be blameless, pure in all your ways. Not to simply acknowledge that he's forgiven you your sin and then let you go and do whatever you want, that grace would abound, Romans 6.1. He goes, Paul goes, by no means. We don't do that. Listen, it's the same with our spouse. We are abiding with Christ so we can abide with our spouse in purity. Jesus desires that we would give him all of our lives, all of our hearts, mind, soul, and strength. He, he desires that we would give him praise and affection, Hebrews 13, 15. He desires that we would grow in him. He desires that we would forsake all other idols that nothing else in this life would compare. Not our boredom, not our busyness, not our complacency, not our video games, not our work schedules, not any of those things. He desires that he would be the focal point, the primary fixture of our entire life. And you got to ask yourself, is the God of heaven and earth, the one who created everything we see and know and the things we don't see and know, is he really asking too much from us? That's really not rhetorical. I mean, think about it. Is he asking too much to want a deep, abiding relationship with you? And here's the tragedy. Why is it that so many of us would say, no, he's not asking us too much? But why is it so many of us have never done anything real about that? Why is it that so many of us continue to say, you know what, I just, I just don't know that I'm ready. I just don't know that I know enough. I just don't know that I, I've got enough time. And we get crowded out, don't we? The, the urgent in our schedules, the emails, the the busy days, the crowded weeks, they just, in a sense, push out our, our need for the supreme being in our life named God, who desires a relationship with us and wants us to abide with him. The question is, is how are you doing? Because if you don't abide with him, then you will struggle to abide deeply with your wife. If you don't devote yourself to him, you will struggle to devote yourself to your wife. Which is the contrast, if you don't abide with the Christ, what are you abiding with? Because we will fix our hearts on something. Why? Because that's the way we're created. And the question is, is what is it that really is the thing that you're fixing your heart on? Because God cares, and so does your spouse. And so we should abide with God. The second one is, is that we should begin to live authentically. Um, just as we would uh, abide with, with God and, and we should show that to our spouse, uh, we should also live authentically, not only with God, uh, as we see in Ephesians 4.25, therefore put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth and love with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Uh, Genesis 3 is a great example of, of what it looks like to not live authentically, to go hide your differences and, and to begin to hide because you are naked and ashamed. We saw that earlier in the series. We also see in Proverbs 18.1 that whoever isolates himself uh, seeks his own desire and he breaks out against all sound judgment, that we're not good left alone. And if we're not good left alone, isn't it an incredible mark of God's goodness that he would give us a suitable helper? 
I mean, that marriage, in a sense, is a picture of God's grace. And so the question that you have to ask yourself is, if, if we're to live authentically with the Lord, what's it look like for us to live authentically with our spouse? What's that look like for us to, to do those things with our spouse? And so I would say, number one, is that you should be vulnerable. Matter of fact, vulnerability begets vulnerability. What do I mean by that? Listen, if you had the courage and the audacity to say, hey, can I share some things that I've been thinking? Hey, here's some things that I've wrestled with. Hey, here's some things that happened in my past that I've never told you. Vulnerability begets vulnerability. The more that we, in a sense, will expose ourselves, the more that others will be prone to expose themselves. And the more that you expose yourselves, I want you to understand that not only does vulnerability beget vulnerability, but also vulnerability, when both done on both parties, also begets trust. The more vulnerable you're willing to become, the more trust builds in your relationship. And I think for some of us, we think, well, I I don't really share that with my spouse because he wouldn't understand. Or, hey, I don't really share that with her because if she knew that, she would just kind of panic about it. And the question you have to ask yourself is, are you really being all that God wants you to be? And I would say if you're living authentically, you are. But oftentimes we don't live authentically. What we do is we give just enough of the narrative to feel good about we're not really lying. But the question really you have to ask yourself, and if you have kids, you ask yourself this all the time, is a half-truth really a lie? And the question is, is if we don't give all of our vulnerability picture, are we really telling the truth? And that's something you have to wrestle with because oftentimes when we share everything about us, we sense that there's going to be a consequence on the other side. If they really know what is happening in my life, then how are they going to respond? And here's what I would tell you. You can't control the response as much as you can control that you should live authentically before God and before your spouse. And the more that you do that, the more trust builds. Could you imagine a marriage where your spouse knew everything about you and they loved you and they, they showed you grace and mercy in the areas that you needed that. Could you imagine what that looked like? And many of us in this room and on the edge of the campus are going, no, I actually couldn't imagine that. But I do want you to know it's possible that vulnerability begets vulnerability, that it builds trust in your relationship. And that is a crazy thought, but you're just, you're, your spouse really does desire for you to be known in that way. Your spouse desires for you to live authentically, not only in your purity with them, but also in your encouragement towards them. But I would say that we oftentimes fear that. Matter of fact, I want to just show you this quote. I think oftentimes, uh, as I was thinking about, we believe the comfort of being partially known is better than the pain of being fully known. Read that. Think about that. We believe the comfort of being partially known is better than the pain of being fully known. A lot of us, we are inclined to play it safe. We're inclined to just kind of, uh, in a sense, uh, do enough to get by. But the reality is, is we ought to be thinking about the pain of being fully known. That vulnerability begets vulnerability, and the more vulnerability there is, it begets trust in the relationship. Isn't that when you feel most connected to God? When he knows everything about you? And he loves you anyway. Isn't that it? Have you ever thought about that Psalm 51 moment of David pleading before God on his, on his knees and saying, God, I get it. Search me, O God. Know me. Lord, I'm, I've been a fool. I've been prone to run against your, your ways. And Lord, here I am. I'm acknowledging my error. I'm coming back to you. And just as we would do that before God, God desires that we would live authentically with our spouse and with other people. 
He also desires that we would admonish biblically. When we think about admonishing biblically, you might ask yourself, well, what does that really mean? Well, uh, we actually addressed this a couple of weeks ago. And so uh, in week two of this series, we talked about what it looks like to admonish one another and that the purpose of that is sanctification, that we would actually grow towards God. And so I'm not going to unpack that fully, uh, but I want to just give you one scripture. Um, It says, for the moment, all discipline seems painful at the time rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. That's Hebrews 12. The reason that oftentimes we admonish one another, uh, whether it be we're admonished by the Holy Spirit in our life, whether it be we're admonishing a friend, or if our spouse, who knows us better than anybody on the planet, admonishes us, the reason they do so is because they love us, and they know that even though it may be unpleasant at the time, that it will yield righteousness in our life. And there's a lot of us in here that we don't have anybody that will tell us the truth, but our spouse will. And I pray that that would continue to happen. Probably the only thing we have to consider in doing this well and honoring the Lord as we live authentically and as we uh, uh, think about all of those different things is how you admonish. How are we to admonish? And every time in Scripture, here's what you would see, gently. We are to gently admonish one another in the instruction, the hope of the Lord. And so the question is, is, are you doing that? I encourage you to go back and watch that series because I'm going to tap in on this last one, which is devoting relationally. And so the fourth key to oneness in your marriage is devoting relationally. Probably one of the things that oftentimes we overlook in some ways, particularly if we've been married for any length of time, and you might ask yourself, well, what does it look like to devote relationally to God? And here's what I would say. Um, it is, in a sense, knowing Him well. Just as uh, those students in Northern Iowa began to know their lemons, we ought to begin to know God deeply. We ought to abide with him. The more we do that, the more we live authentically with him, the more uh, that we're admonished by other people in our lives, the more that we can devote relationally to God and to other people. Which brings up the question, how do I devote relationally with my spouse? What does that look like? And I would say what you do is practice the one another's of Scripture. And so in the, one another, in the Scripture, there are one another's. And if you could... Uh, in a sense, know the one another's of Scripture, then you could begin to work towards all of these things in your marriage. Now, you might ask yourself, well, what are the one another's of Scripture? And here's what I encourage you to do. Go to Google and type in one another's of Scripture. You're going to find you probably three or four lists of the one another's of Scripture. Print one out, put it on your refrigerator, or put it in your uh, notebook or somewhere, and just begin to practice what the one another's are. Not only in your marriage, but in your life. This is what God asks his people to do. Here's a handful of examples. One, we should encourage and exhort one another. Hebrews chapter uh, 3, verses 12 and 13. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. It's where you see the picture of spurring each other on towards love and good deeds. Uh, we should sharpen one another. We should admonish one another. As we just talked about Proverbs 27, 17. Colossians 3, 16. Uh, we ought to give counsel to one another. We ought to give credence to the word in our lives. We ought to pray for one another. We ought to bear one another's burdens. There are examples over and over and over. Jesus says this, they'll know that you're my disciples by the way that you love, say it with me, one another, that we love one another. That's the idea. There's one another's of Scripture. When we begin to do the one another's of Scripture, we devote with one another relationally, which then means that we begin to partner together in the way that God intends us to be, and we begin to be sacrificial. We begin to be attentive. We begin to nourish one another and care for one another. It's that Philippians 2 picture. We don't don't live in selfishness, but we have the same mind and attitude of Christ. And we begin to consider others better than ourselves. That's what it looks like to devote relationally. 
And so I might ask you, yourself the question, hey, how are you doing at devoting relationally with your spouse? What does that look like for you as a pattern? And, and how, how would you, in a sense, um, rate the effectiveness of your time together? Is it effective in what you're doing? Are you just living to one another and you go, yeah, I know her well. Yes, I've been with her for 50 years. But are you still pursuing her? And here's what I mean by this. Think about this real quick. We have a God in heaven who he pursued us. And he loved us when we were yet sinners. He sent his son Christ to die for us. And you might ask yourself, well, in his pursuit of us and giving us a new life in Christ or giving us a chance to follow him, to repent of our sins, acknowledge that he is perfect and pure and our savior, we turn and we run towards him. But what if that was enough? What if at that moment of our conversion that we would, in a sense, repent of our sins, turn, acknowledge Christ, and run towards him, what if the God of heaven and earth stopped pursuing you? Like, what if his Holy Spirit didn't continue to draw you to himself? What if he didn't continue to, in a sense, convict you when you were not living in purity? What if he didn't continue to encourage you and, and love you and gently instruct you? Could you imagine if the God of heaven and earth, after his covenant promise with you in salvation, just dropped you? Could you imagine he wasn't patient with you over the years? Could you imagine that if just, he was just content to say, you know what, I've stamped them, they're mine, I'll deal with them one day after they die. Would that be loving? Would it be charitable? Would it be the picture of what God desires and his union with us? And I would say no. And just as God continues to pursue us, he really does care about us pursuing one another. Not just in community with one another, but also in our marriages. He cares that we would deeply love one another. And I would tell you this, as I mentioned earlier, I think we oftentimes know that that should be oppressed in our life. But hey, can we just be honest? Life is busy. Life is chaotic. I find myself, after this last week, just going, oh my goodness, I just want a day off. I want a day off. I want a day off where the kids don't call me dad. And Kelly doesn't say, hey, come here, babe. I want a day where my phone doesn't ring. I just want a day off where I could. But the reality is that's not how I'm created. I'm not created to have days off like that. I'm created to continue to pursue my wife even when it's difficult. I'm created to continue to be a daddy even when I'm tired of hearing daddy's name. I am continuing to pursue the God of the universe. Why? Because he's never stopped pursuing me. And the reality is, is, listen, in our culture, we think we deserve things all the time. We think we deserve medals, trophies, and we think we deserve to be put up in first place of the line simply because we have some loose connection out there. And the, the, the deal is, is, no, we are to continue to move forward in a chaotic life. It's not balanced at all. It never will be because God didn't desire us to have balance. He desired for us to find a rhythm. And in this rhythm of my life in which I created, um, it's hectic. It's busy. And I would tell you this, in all of this busyness and all of this chaos and all of this confusion, there are two things that I better do. One of them is I better pursue Christ with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second one is I better pursue my wife with the same vitality because if I don't, I will be lost and confused and I will be out there without a wife and a helper because I'm 
because I've got a crazy schedule. And here's what happens. In our crazy schedule, we run towards something. There's a vice that helps fix us. There's something. And I would say, run to Jesus and pursue your spouse. And you might ask yourself, well, how am I doing? Well, here's the question that you should ask yourself. In the last week, how many conversations have you had your spou- with your spouse that were an hour or longer that devoted to her relationally? Like emotional connection. What does that look like? You should consider that. You should, find, you should find time together every day if you can, but at least three or four times a week. Uh, weekly, I mean, just when you think about that, what, what does it look like to spend a little bit of time pursuing something together, devoted relationally, but also pursuing something together? Do you have a hobby? If not, hey, why don't you begin to talk about that? What about monthly? In this last month, have you spent any extended time away with your spouse? Has there been a date night? Has there been a day where you were able to go and, and enjoy a few moments together, even if it was walking around uh, in what you would think in, in a meaningless way at first Monday, but you spent some time connecting together? Okay, great. Think through that in a monthly. What about annually? Uh, your anniversary is not too far around the corner. Hey, what's your plan? Well, it's not that big of a deal. I mean, we've only been married, you know, 22 years. It's not going to be the 25-er, you know, and that's the one that really matters. What? But isn't that what we say? Oh, it's not that big one. No, it's a big one. Anytime you made another year in marriage pursuing God's covenant, that's a big deal. And you should celebrate that. Think about some time away. What does that look like? Is that a short weekend away? Is that a day trip of pursuing your wife? We ought to devote relationally towards them. And so you might ask yourself the question, well, how do I do that well? How do I even begin these conversations? If I'm going to, in a sense, abide with the Christ and I'm going to abide with my wife, if I'm going to devote relationally to the Lord and others, and I'm going to devote relationally to my wife, how do I do that? If I'm going to live authentically with my wife and, and with the Lord, how do I do that? If I'm going to admonish one another and, and my wife as I seek to be admonished by the Holy Spirit myself, how do I do that? What does that even look like? How do I start the conversation? I'm going to give you three quick questions. I'm not putting them for you up to the screen, and here's why. Number one is because I want you to get in the habit of writing instead of of just assuming I'm going to do all the work for you, okay? Number two, I'm going to put all these questions and actually three more than this into the Stone Point News tomorrow in the sermon guide. And, and I'm ready for the click rate to go up. There's too many of us in this room that let it sit in the email box. And I, I, here's, the, here's the reality. As a pastor, it takes me a long time to do that. I'm not angry, but if we're going to provide that resource, then are we going to use it as the people of God? And so I'm going to give you six questions uh, tomorrow, I'm going to give you three of them here just so you know they're, they're worth having. And this is a great set of questions that you can use just with your spouse. You can begin the conversation tonight. So here's one in the realm of spiritual growth. Hey, how can I encourage you in this season of our life towards your walk with Jesus? When's the last time you've asked your wife that question? Hey, how do I help aid in your walk with Jesus? And for many of us as men with young kids, our wives go, could you just give me 30 minutes, 30 minutes of, of just of, of calm, serenity, where I could just escape and read my Bible? Yeah, absolutely. And it may be different than that, but that's a great example. What about emotional? Here's a great emotional. How can I improve our quality or even our quantity of time together this week? What can I do? Is there, is there something we need to cancel in our schedule? Is there something we need to plan around? But how do I improve as it result, results in our emotional intimacy? How do I improve that this week? 
as it relates to physical. How can I make our bedroom a safe place that honors the Lord and encourages intimacy in our marriage? So has there been something in our, in our bedroom that has not promoted safety, security in our life, and our marriage? How do I help that? How do I grow that? Has there been something I've done that's created a barrier that can we talk through that, whether that's emotional or physical or even spiritual? Is there something that's keeping us from being intimate together in a physical manner? And then here's a great intellectual question, which I'll give to you is, hey, why don't we have a hobby? What, what would it look like for us to get a hobby? Is there a book that we should read together? What does that look like? And so church, I would just say this, as we think through the keys of Loving one another, these keys are true in our life, in our community groups, and in our marriage. Why? Because that's the way God works. And so I pray that as we leave this place, we would be thinking through these questions in our marriage, in our life, and our walk with the Lord. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the time that we have together. I pray that you would use it to spur us on towards love and good deeds. I pray that you would help us to know uh, that you desire to have a devoted, Christ-filled relationship with us, that just as you pursue us, you desire for us to pursue you. And so, Lord, I pray that we would be thinking through what it looks like to abide with you daily, to love you, to preserve our unity with you. I pray that you would help us to devote uh, to you relationally, that we would know you and be loved with you, loved by you. I pray that you would help us to live authentically in purity before you, that God, that you would know us and even expose us when we don't honor you. I pray, Lord, that you would admonish us gently, that, Lord, that you would bring about uh, discipline in our life. And even though discipline oftentimes is painful and it's not always pleasant, Lord, I pray that we would know that it's because you love us. And Lord, I pray all the things that are true for us in our relationship with you, I pray that we would just turn those horizontally in our relationship with our spouse. And I pray you would help us to love them with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, simply because we love you the same way. And so, God, we need your help and we need your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.